And it's the water that does that. Just in case you're concerned about it, you know. And I think some of you around here drank a little bit of that water too, Phillips. <laughs> All right, but no, he hasn't changed any, Brother Ray. He's still the same. Brother Wiggins' hair can't get any grayer than it is. He's still just as tormenting as ever was. I uh, was pulling out my drive. I thought I'd stopped in time, and directly somebody just laid on their horn. Act like they was going to run over me, and I looked up, and there was Wig Lewis. Almost off the road, trying to run over me. I think he heard I was coming. <laughs> Wanted to get himself out of the misery. <laughs> he knew I'd pounce on him just the minute he got here. How are you, Brother Wig? You doing all right? Sister Elby's the one that's in trouble, isn't she? <laughs> Brother Ray's hair stays the same. He just gets less of it. About all, Brother Paul, about the same way. They was talking about a while ago, and we're going to get to the message in a minute, about some of you are happy and never notified your face. I said at Golconda, I don't know how many of you remember that sad-looking face dog used to be on on the, uh, uh, I don't know if he's ever on television or not. He was in the movies. You know, had a big, long, sad face. Bassett down, he'd, he'd just say, You know what? I'm happy. <laughs> That's just about the way some of you act. You, you know what? I'm happy. <laughs> so maybe get your face all notified. Brother Bill, it's good to see you. You and Sister Bonnie. Appreciate you. The nature of the service is not like it was last night, so naturally the nature of the message will be different. But I'd like to read to you from St. John, the fifth chapter. And again, I'd like to express my appreciation to all of you that brought all those fattening foods and to Sister Chris and Brother Butch who prepared even more fattening foods. But we enjoyed it. Like I said, I, I like calf slobbers on my pie. I want to serve you notice, Sister Ellen. I like them one. <laughs> you could at least have made one like that. <laughs> we enjoyed it, and it's always a privilege. We never, we never forget Rosie Claire. We don't, we don't intend to. And I have to remind most of you. Some of you, I can't say this, but to most of you. You don't ever forget you can have 10,000 instructors, but not many fathers. All right? So this is Dad talking tonight. Now listen to what he's got to say, all right? Because I watched a lot of you being birthed. Amen. Bottle fed you. Changed your diaper. Run after you. Hallelujah. Watched your kids born. Dedicated them. Priest funerals. Saw a lot of sadness. Saw a lot of joy. Hallelujah. Those are memories. They're good memories. 
and we're going to keep them. You never know what God wants. You don't know why he chooses certain directions to go, but he does. And I've always prayed, God, make me sensitive enough to your spirit and foolish enough, as far as flesh is concerned, just to do what you ask me to do. That's all I ask. And I realize the Bible says you leave family and home and friends and all of this, and we've almost had to do that because this is home. It's been home for a long time. And when we get here, it's hard to turn that uh, old car around and head the other direction. But we know the sensitivity of the Spirit. We feel the leadership of the Lord. Everything's all right here. Praise the Lord. Sister Brenda testified to that. She's told me all of those things but one. She never said I could sing. Now, I don't know why. So... Some of them have, Sister Brenda. I kept, I kept telling one certain individual, I can't sing, I can't sing. Oh, you're just saying that. Until I got behind them one time, I just felt the freedom to turn loose, and she, they, she turned around and said, you really can't sing, can you? Fifth chapter of St. John. After this, there was a feast of the Jews, and Jesus went up to Jerusalem. Now there at Jerusalem by the sheep market or sheep gate, a pool, which is called in the Hebrew tongue Bethesda, having five porches. In these lay a great multitude of impotent folks or impotent folk, a blind and halt and withered, waiting for the moving of the water. For an angel went down at a certain season to the pool and troubled the water. Whosoever then first after the troubling of the water stepped in was made whole of whatsoever disease he had. And a certain man was there which had an infirmity thirty-eight years. When Jesus saw him lie, knew that he had been now a long time in that case, he saith unto him, Wilt thou be made whole? The impotent man answered him, saying, I have no man when the water is troubled to put me into the pool, but while I am coming another steppeth down before me. Jesus saith unto him, Rise, take up thy bed, and walk. And immediately the man was made whole, took up his bed and walked. And on the same day was the Sabbath. Now we're going to end off there because Jesus got in trouble doing good on the Sabbath day. But we want to make a parallel to a lot of these things that was said in there. But first of all, I think the thing that captivated my mind and held my attention for so long was a very, looked like a rather foolish question that Jesus was asking. Here was a man, and it goes on down to say that Jesus knew that he had been a long time in that condition. Jesus was aware of his condition. 
He stood there in the midst and watched him be surrounded by all types of misery, all types of sickness, and all types of people that were maimed. I'm sure he must have watched that individual as his gaze probably picked him out immediately. And he must have watched that individual struggle to try to get into the pool only to see someone else there ahead of him. And Jesus asked him a pointed question, a question that I would like for us to answer tonight truthfully. He looked at that man and he said, Wilt thou be made whole? Now, it looks like he should have known that if a man was in that condition, that he would want to be made whole. And this troubled me a lot until God began to open my eyes to the world that we're living in, to individuals that are tainted with sin, whose lives have been almost utterly devoured and destroyed, and have the grace of God, arms extended out to them, and there's healing there in the wings of Jesus in his arms, and there is salvation there. And yet, with it being offered, man doesn't want it. You see, Jesus was very careful. He was aware that this man had been in this shape for so long that he might have got comfortable in it and not want to change. And so he actually says, Will you be made whole? In other words, would you like to be healed? Now, if you're going to be healed, your lifestyle has got to change. Thirty-eight years you've been a cripple or whatever, and you haven't been able to do anything but beg. You have been dependent on everybody else for what you need, and they have furnished it. And once I touch you with my divine power, you're not dependent anymore upon somebody else. And your lifestyle has to be changed. And God is asking that same question tonight to thousands of people and especially to many of us that are here. Would you be made whole? And he's facing you with the challenge that if you desire to be made whole, your lifestyle has to be changed. In other words, you're on your own. In other words, you're not crippled anymore. In other words, you're not diseased anymore. You're not a sinner anymore. You have life within you, which is the life of the Lord Jesus Christ. And he asked that question. There's probably some here tonight that don't know the Lord. When Jesus begins to deal with you and ask you if you want to be made whole, he wants you to face this question. Are you willing for him to change your lifestyle? Because you see, when Christ comes in and changes you, He wants you to be changed. He don't want you to do the same old thing, run to the same old haunts, and walk the same type of a life. He wants you to be made whole by Him. And He wants you to be changed. So I think perhaps tonight there is some that He is asking the question, will you be made whole and free from sin? I'm sure that's probably in the minority. But there's also some here that he's asking, will, be made, will we be made whole and free from the bondage that binds us? 
Now, he's not going to deliver us if we don't answer in the affirmative. Yet, yes, I'm sick and tired of bondage. I'm sick and tired of despair. I'm sick and tired of anxieties, discouragements, and all the things that ridicule me and put me down. I'm sick and tired of that. And Jesus is asking you, do you want to be whole? In other words, do you want to arrive at a place a Christian ought to be every day? And if we can truthfully say, yes, Lord, I want to be made whole, well, then He begins to work on us. Now you say, well, that's a strange way to put that. Well, I put it that way simply because over the years of ministry, I have saw wives hide behind their husbands, and I have saw husbands hide behind their wives. I have saw wives that seemed to be faithful to the house of God, and their crutch was their husband. In other words, they couldn't do any better than they were doing because of their husband. And God was asking them, do you want to be made whole? Do you want your family intact? And when they say in effect, yes we do, then I've watched God reach out and bring in the husband. I've watched him save him by the power of God. And then the little lady didn't have a crutch anymore to lean on, and she went out into the world. You see, when God asks us a question, Wilt thou be made whole? Then we need to answer Him with the affirmative, with the very best of my ability, and say, Yes, Lord, whatever I need, I want you to supply. And I've watched husbands do the same thing. And some of us have become so used to the sicknesses that cling to our body and the demonic forces that cling to our lives that we have got comfortable in that position. And we're faced with a strange walk outside of those things. And besides that, we wouldn't have any excuse to miss church if we didn't have a little something hanging on. This is Dad now. I'm talking to you from the very depths of my heart. Wilt thou be made whole? In other words, aren't you tired of the powers of hell trying to rule your life when he doesn't rule there anymore? He shouldn't. He's been dethroned. He doesn't wear the crown anymore. That diadem has been taken away from him. And Christ is standing asking you tonight then, if that be the case, would you like to be whole? Would you like to be free from that which plagues you? Would you like to be free from frustration? Would you like to be free from anxieties and free from despair? And free from the little fiery darts that hit you like that? Then if you do, there's something for you to do. But before that, there's something for the church to do. Helpless at the pool. This man had some way managed to come from wherever he lived. Or he was begging at the gate, I don't know. And he'd managed to come from wherever he lived and drag himself there for, lo, how many years trying to get deliverance. Now, it happened that that was on a feast day. That was the feast of pure. In other words, that's a feast where the Jews gave presents to one another. And Jesus would demonstrate in that hour... What he meant when he said it is more blessed to give than receive. 
because of all the places there in that town he could have went. He picked that unsightly, ungodly looking place where multitudes crowded around about it desiring to get in where the angel troubled the waters. And there wasn't a soul there that had anything to give him. But after all, he was the giver. He had need of nothing. He had it all. Hallelujah. Inside, he could speak the word. And when the word was spoken, it could happen. Bethesda. That simply means translated house of mercy and grace has some identification to the church of the living God. And I want to demonstrate perhaps tonight how it is. And maybe we don't recognize it. But Jesus went to the pool of Bethesda, which was actually the house of mercy and grace. And He said it had five porches. Pentagon type coming out there. In other words, five ways in which those unfortunate ones inside could approach the healing waters of the pool. Which is representative of the fivefold ministry and ought to fill every church that pointed mankind to the healing waters of Calvary's flow. Hallelujah. We have a responsibility. We have a job. I might say that apostles prophets, evangelists, pastors, and teachers. Many men filling perhaps different offices. But the house of grace and mercy has to have the five ways into it. And not only do they have to have the ways into it, saints of God, there has to be a moving of the waters. It is a moving of the Holy Ghost. And these individuals were sitting there waiting for the moving of the water. And man, listen tonight. There's people lay, sitting there, laying there, whatever, waiting for the moving of the power of the Holy Ghost in our midst. And they're impotent, and they're maimed, and they're blind, and they're hot, and they need a moving of Almighty God. All the promotions in the world can't do what the Spirit of God can do in just one snap of the finger. But there has to be a body that limits not God. An individual that says, Lord, here am I, send me. A saint of God that's willing to hide themselves in their closet someplace and it doesn't matter who sees them or who don't. They'll get out on their knees and say, Holy Spirit, move tonight in the service and touch some unfortunate soul. Hallelujah. We are so prone as Christians to kneel down a few moments if we take that time and ask God to give us a blessing tonight. Our friend, we need to find out what is a blessing. What is a blessing? Is it the tingling of the Holy Spirit as it runs up and down our spine? That makes us feel good. Is it feeling the presence of God as it moves in the house? Friend, the blessing 
to every child of God should be seeing somebody delivered by the mighty power of the moving of the Holy Spirit. To watch a soul come to God. To watch a demonic force being cast out. To watch a healing in the body. To watch the blind see and the lame walk. And even the dead raised, which Christ said was not an impossibility or an improbability. And he demonstrates here. Perhaps he looked down and saw our day. Perhaps he might have looked and saw the apostolic church of Rosiclair. And perhaps he said, there is a house of grace and mercy. And there have found five ways as it leads mankind in there. And friend, listen, it doesn't make any difference how many at the evangelists are the pastors, are the teachers who are the ways to the healing waters. Bring them to there. It's going to take a moving of the power of the Holy Ghost. Some moving of the water. Inside it's going to take lay members that's willing to lay aside everything in their life. Get in their closet and say, God anoint me and give me the unction. Let me present Jesus Christ the same yesterday, today and forevermore. In other words, let me show that there's life there. And Jesus was attracted there because there was such misery there. Hallelujah. He always was, and He still is, found where He's the most needed and the most wanted. That's why fear grips my heart sometimes as I walk into different churches where they're materially blessed and they don't seem to need anything. And they're so uh, well off in a sense and so programmed that he's not even wanted there. And he don't stay very long in a place like that because he's not needed, neither is he wanted. But Jesus found a place he always identified with those type of people. And I'm glad He did. <laughs> because that's where He found me. Hallelujah. He found me in the hog pen of iniquity. He found me on the trash pile and trash heap. He found me where the world didn't want anything to do with me whatsoever. He found me in a place where my father even being a minister I walked inside the church after doing my thing and going so far out that uh, I'm even ashamed to admit it, but it was there. I walked into the church and somebody said, I want to go back and talk to that young host club boy. And the one there said, don't bother with him. He's bound for hell. He's disgraced his father. He's been a mocker to this church. Hallelujah. Had God had somebody there to say, no, sir. My little mother that stands about that high looked up in their face and said, No, sir, he's not going to hell. I won't let him. And she hasn't let me. Her prayers moved and motivated and followed me. There was a moving of the Holy Ghost and it pulled me inside. And that Holy Ghost still moves. Hallelujah. But somebody somewhere had to pay a price. Jesus paid it. For my salvation, but somebody somewhere had to get outside themselves and be more concerned about me than there was a good name. And Jesus found me there. 
follow his life. He walked into the Pharisee's house. Why did he go there? He knew old Simon was never going to give him his just dues. He knew that. But he walked in his house just the same. Why did he go there? Because there was a little woman there that needed him. Got himself out from the walk of life, out from the multitudes that followed him for the fishes and loaves, and walked into that Pharisee's house. And the minute he got there, that little woman began to anoint his head with oil and, and began to cry and wet his feet with tears and took her hair and dried his feet. They looked at Jesus, said, Don't he know that's a sinner? Sure, he knew that was a sinner. He identifies with sinners. That's why we're all here. He identified with us. He died for us. He loved us. He still loves us. Not because we were so good. Not because we're so prim and proper. Not because we needed Him. That Pharisee looked at that. Jesus said, wonder why you're doing that. And Jesus looked at him and said, Simon, I need to talk to you. And old Simon, I'm sure, drew up his, his, threw out his chest and his head and said, the master's going to tell me something good. And Jesus pointed a finger at him and said, Simon, you invited me here and you disrespected me. I'd like to ask you how many times he's been invited in our service and we've disrespected him and set him back and refused to use him. I invite him in our life and we disrespect him. And he said, Simon, listen, from the time I got in here, you didn't anoint my head with oil. You didn't give me any water to wash my feet in. And you didn't do any of the things that I supposed to show hospitality. At this moment, ever since I've came here, has not ceased to wash my feet with her tears. She got down there and Jesus got down with her and raised her up and said, I love her. And that's where he found me. I was washing his feet with my tears. I didn't have any place else to go. I didn't have nothing else to do. And I had to be humble enough that I cried tears. Bitter tears. Sometimes I think that we do wrong. I can remember when a man, woman, boy, girl would run to the altar tears flowing down their cheeks and they'd cry out to God and anymore in the majority of the churches they can come and stand cold hearted and dry eyed and never shed a tear and still say God has touched their life friend I believe when Jesus reaches down it does something inside something emotional will happen we'll either shout or we'll cry uh, we'll do something because inside we have been changed. The centurion's servant, a Gentile, whatever you want to call it, and they stopped Jesus and said, I have a need. And Jesus said, I'll come and heal your servant. And that centurion with great faith looked at him and said, you don't need to come to my house. In other words, what was he saying? He was saying, I don't need a great demonstration of power. I don't need a thousand hands laid on me. I don't feel, need to feel the press of a hand on my forehead. I don't even need you to come in my house. I recognize your authority and your power, and you just speak the word, and my servant will be healed. 
In other words, there's power in the power of the Word of God. And if we could just have that much confidence in Him, that He would speak the Word. The will of Nain's son, God raised him up and presented him to that lady alive and said, Here, you need your boy. Hallelujah. Wherever he went, the maniac at Gadara, who everybody was afraid of, he went in and looked in those cold eyes and made that man bow down before him. And those demons scream out. And that man sat there in his right mind because he had come in contact with the Master and the ruler. I said he was the ruler then. And he's the ruler today. He's the ruler today. Jairus' daughter, the woman with the issue of blood, any place he went, you know, he wearied of the throngs and the crowd that gave him acclaim. He wearied of those that followed him and demanded his attention because of the fishes and loaves. He was tired of performing miracle after miracle for them and they never changed their views or ideas and opinions. If he could just find one soul that was willing to worship him when he didn't do anything but touch and change their life, he was willing to walk with that one. There came a time when he said, had to say, the multitudes have gone. There's just twelve left. And one of you is the devil. Will you also go away? You know, I had a vision of that one time, and I'm not going to go into that. But I think it was the saddest thing. When I was troubled, I had problems. I, I was... I don't know, almost on the verge of collapse, nothing seemed to be right. I can just remember that face so vividly. And the voice said, Roy, will you go away too? Will you go away too? And I couldn't say what Peter did. I didn't say it. But I said something similar. Peter said, To whom shall we go? Thou hast the words of eternal life. And I just simply leaned my head back and said, God, I'm not going anywhere that you don't want me to go, and I'm not doing a thing that you don't want me to do, because I can remember just a few years ago when my life meant nothing, and the doctor said I would die before I was 50 years old, and you came on the scene in answer to somebody's prayer, and you placed in this body a new heart, and I'm not going to leave you, God. I'm going to stay wherever you want me to stay, and I'll go wherever you want me to go, and I'll do what you want me to do. I'm going no place and I'm sticking with you Hallelujah. and it hadn't all been fun and games but it's been rejoicing to know that Jesus is there yes, presented to the eyes of Jesus and just one giant scope was pain, degradation, poverty, and misery. Similar to what he sees today on the streets of your town and the outskirts of your city. He sees humanity. He sees sin. He sees degradation. He sees misery. And he sees pain. 
He watches as he sees physical pain, mental pain, moral degradation, so much that it's hard to describe, presented in one giant scene as Jesus overlooks it all. And his eyes lights up on one individual. Perhaps he was the most miserable of them all. But all of this misery, it was various, not just one disease, but there's many kinds to halt, the impotent, the moral and the spiritual decay, and the mentality of individuals, and the multitude crowded around, the Bible says, and the porches was full. Perhaps many couldn't even get in. They were all miserable enough. But Jesus fastened his eyes upon this man. He was impotent. I don't know. Perhaps he's paralytic. I don't know. But the Bible seemed to indicate that he was thoroughly helpless. He was unable to get himself in the pool. Just like the world is around us. They're unable to get themselves in the pool. They need some help. They need somebody to go and take them by the hand and say, Here, let me help you to the healing flow of the waters as it flows from Calvary. He'd been that way for 38 years. His people has been sinners longer than that. People whose hearts are miserable and crushed. Pain beyond description. And they don't know where to turn. And they don't know what to do. They fastened their eyes upon church after church and Christian after Christian. And they've been selfishly preoccupied with themselves fully able to walk ourselves, fully able to help somebody ourselves, and this man was crawling. He was in utter despair. And I liked this about him, and I thought that's the key. That's what Jesus saw right then. Though utterly helpless, mechanically, he crawled there each day, thinking this will be the day. You see, every part about him was impotent but his will to get something where it was. And I thought that's the key. Out of all the misery that Jesus saw, he fastened his eyes upon this man because he saw that will was still there. That desire was still there. As he tried to get there. But... Every man for himself. This is parallel to the church now. Every man to himself was the rule of the day. Nobody cared about the poor man that had been there longer than any of them. Fresh men come in and fresh women day in and day out and rush past him to get to where the healing waters were flowing and where the angels troubled. And nobody, nobody cared that this man couldn't get there. And it seems like that's a law under sin. Every man for himself. But there is a law of grace by which the most unfit, 
the worst, the most helpless of any crowd can survive. And that's the law of grace and mercy of Jesus Christ. As he stands, hands extended, and says, Do you want to be made whole? Do you want to be made whole? And that man says, Yes. And Jesus says, There's a power that even the weakest can lay hold on. And that power says, Rise, take up your bed, and walk. And that voice hasn't changed. But man can never do this on his own. But when the voice of divine authority and the voice of divine mercy cries it out, we should, we better, take up our bed and walk. Many, many are waiting for the moving of the waters, the moving of the Holy Ghost. Friend, the world is waiting for a revival that will shake the very core of mankind. It's not waiting just for Christians to feel good about themselves or for us to come and feel strengthened or go home and get a blessing. The world is waiting for the moving of the waters. I'm going to say it again. Five porches and five ways point to the flow of the healing waters of Calvary. And mankind of all types and descriptions stand encircled around about, and let me say it here, around about this church waiting for the moving of the waters of the Spirit of God. The challenge, I suppose, at ours that Jesus lifts him by the hand. Hallelujah. Raises him up. And the effect was immediate. Hallelujah. The miracle was complete. An unmistakable monument of divine power as well as divine mercy. As the hand of God reached down and was the supplier. Pointed question indeed, but a question God asks every unsaved and every Christian. Are you ready to give up your little crutch tonight? Have you hobbled around on that long? Have you used it as an excuse? Do you really want changed? If you do, there's a stirring. There's a moving. There's a shaking. As God's Spirit has beginning to speak inside of the soul and core of mankind. And says, come to the waters. Come to the waters be made whole young and old alike rich and poor doesn't seem to matter Christ will heal your life and heal your soul one of the greatest days in the world 
is when the hand of Jesus reached down took him and lifted him up. One of the first miracles was like that. As Peter said, silver and gold have I not, but such as I have, I'm going to give you. In the name of Jesus Christ, rise up and walk. I had always supposed that he did, but he didn't. He just sat there. And Peter said, hey man, did you hear what I said? Reached down and took him by the hand and lifted him up. Amen. And get up by himself. Peter got a hold of him. <laughs> and it wasn't until Peter lifted him up that his feet and ankle bones were strengthened. And he began to shout and praise God. Can we identify with that? We can say with Peter. Silver and gold have I none, but such as I have, give I thee in the name of Jesus Christ of Nazareth, rise and walk. Then when they don't do it, we turn over leave them. Amen. Peter said, now look, I'm tired of talking to you, boy. Oh, and he told you that there was something there. Now you get up. And he was brazen enough to lift him up. You need God tonight. You need His life flowing in you tonight. And while we stand with every head bowed, I want you here tonight. And I want you to come and ask God, do you have an infirmity? Do you have problems in your life? Is there weaknesses that have plagued you from day one? Maybe you've never given your life to Jesus. You need to tonight. There's a stirring of the presence of God. And if you haven't wholly surrendered to Him, He's still asking you, will you be made whole? Not partially whole. Not halfway whole. But you will be made whole whole. Amen? That makes sense? I don't know about you, but I want to be made completely whole. I'm tired of these little things hanging on me. I'm tired of bitterness and anguish and all of these things that so destroy. I'm tired of hurts that dig deep and rule my life. I'm tired of hatred and bitterness that seems to develop inside and grow. I'm tired of divisions. I'm tired of lethargy and coldness. In my own life, I'm tired of it. And over the last few months, there's been a stirring inside of me as I've given myself to God and said, God, take all of this out from me. Yesterday's gone. I can't do anything about it. If I could change some things, I would. But it's gone. The future isn't here yet. But I'm living today, God. And I need to live today. And I don't need all of these things in my life. And the minute... I told him I didn't want him. I wasn't going to live with him. He touched me. He said, take up your bed and walk, boy. You've been made whole. Every head bowed and every eye closed for a few moments. I'm going to ask you, sinner or Christian alike,
services is going to go on for three nights. But you better begin to think about what God has said to you. I want you to come. If there's anything in your life, I'm not going to pray with you. I'm just going to come and ask you to stand here. And we're all going to pray together. Say, God, I really want to be made whole. Completely. Would you come? Just make